Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Colleen, how did you first become interested in the stories of women in the Vatican? Well, I was always kind of a Vatican nerd. Like, I was really into learning about the teachings of the church and everything and answering my friends' questions in, in high school as we all kind of got into a phase where we were learning how to think critically about the church and our faith for the first time. I think the thing that got me really interested in the stories of women in particular was in summer 2015, I was working at my diocesan paper and the lady who managed the subscriptions came over to me with a printed out article from this magazine called America that I had never heard of. And the article was called The Choreography of Rome. The point of the article was that it basically laid out a picture of a Vatican event where you had the cardinals seated at the front in kind of a, a sea of red hats. They're known as prelates, princes of the church, eminence, or simply as cardinals of the Catholic Church. And then you had the bishops behind them, and then you had the priests and the brothers, and in the very back you had the women, mostly nuns. And that image really stuck to me, in part because it kind of felt like looking into a, a different world, into a world that was you know, maybe a few decades or centuries behind the one that I was living in. And I was like, I wonder what it's like for, for those women who are having to live this choreography every day in the Vatican. I'm Maggie Van Dorn, Inside the Vatican's producer. And this is a pretty significant episode of ITV because Colleen wrote the feature story for the October issue of America Magazine. It's out now, and it's called Women Are Rising to New Heights at the Vatican. Could they change the church forever? And we're going to go even deeper on that question in this episode. But it also seemed like the perfect opportunity for Maggie and I to reflect for ourselves on women in the church and how we, two women who are producers of a podcast about the Vatican, are thinking about all this. Yes, because we are, after all, women in the church. And I know from working with you every week, Colleen, that these questions of gender and power, they come up all the time and not just when we're doing a feature story on them. Right. It's in the background of nearly every story that we cover. Exactly. So let's get into it. As you mentioned in your story about the choreography that happens at the Vatican, we see a lot of red hats, men in robes. So this raises the question for many of us, do women even exist at the Vatican? Do they work at the Vatican? And, and if so, what do they do? Yeah, definitely. Women have held Vatican roles since the earliest one that's logged in the Vatican archives is 1915. I should say that's the first person who was like given a full employment contract. Obviously, there have been nuns doing various jobs at the Vatican since way before that. This is just the first contract we have logged. So her name was Anna Pezzoli, and she worked with the nuns who ran the Vatican's tapestry restoration lab. 
And women slowly started taking on greater and greater roles. Mr. Donnelly up in personnel said for me to give you this card. I'm your new uh, bearings inspector. After that, I think in the 1930s was the first time that educated women started working at the Vatican and the Vatican's archives, cataloging documents. And then after Vatican II is really when you start to see like the beginning of a gradual increase in women working at the Vatican. And that has slowly ticked up over time. So in 2010, it was at about 17% of Vatican employees being women, and now it's 22%. So you can see it's a long, slow increase, but it is an increase. So we are seeing an increase in women at the Vatican holding various positions. But are these women in key positions of leadership? Most of them aren't. Most women who work at the Vatican are kind of working in behind-the-scenes jobs. You have a lot of women, especially nuns, working as uh, like housekeepers. And then there's a lot of women working in Vatican offices, too, just doing different clerical jobs. But we have seen more recently women being appointed to higher and higher positions. So we get a story, you know, every few months under Pope Francis of a woman being appointed to a position that had previously only ever been held by men. So right now, if I were to give you like a rundown of the top women in the Vatican, the top one is actually not involved in making like decisions about the church. The highest ranking woman in the Vatican is Barbara Jatta, who runs the Vatican Museums. And she's the first woman to head that. And that's like a really important role, I should say. She manages the Vatican's largest income source. Yeah, I, I was going to say most people probably come to the Vatican and visit the museum there. Totally. They took a huge hit during 2020 when the Vatican's were closed because of COVID. And like she very expertly shifted the museum's focus to uh, online offerings, which I think helped them make up a little bit of those losses. Okay, great. And we all know that the church is full of hierarchy. So, you know, if you are not a prefect or not a secretary or an undersecretary, what is the highest rank a woman can have? Well, I mean, theoretically, you could have a woman prefect. It's just that up to now, these jobs have been historically reserved for ordained men, right? For bishops or for cardinals. Now, there are some people who make the argument that you could make women cardinals without running into any issues with canon law or that you could easily change the provision in canon law. So you don't need to become ordained a priest or a bishop in order to be made a cardinal. Right, exactly. So that's what some people say. They see that you could ordain a woman cardinal and then have her fill one of these roles that's required for cardinals. The other option is to reevaluate whether a certain role requires someone to be ordained a bishop or cardinal at all to run that part of the organization, because it's not like every administrative job requires you to be able to celebrate the sacraments, right? Right. Okay. So we know that the Vatican has been a largely patriarchal institution. This is not a surprise to any of us. But we also know it's changing, right? And we're speaking with three women who work at or with the Vatican in very prominent leadership roles. Can you introduce us to them? Sure. So the first one is Christiane Murray. That we be more listened to, that credit be given to us. She's a laywoman who has been working in the Vatican since 1995, and she's in the communications department. Right now, she's actually just the second woman ever to serve as the deputy director of the Holy See Press Office. So as a reporter, I work with her a lot. Amazing. Who else do we have? After that, we're going to hear from Kate Rayworth, who is this really cool like celebrity economist. So we need a new vision of what human prosperity looks like. 
She developed the donut theory of economics. Pope Francis actually referred to her work in his encyclical Laudato Si and also in his book Let Us Dream. So he has a lot of respect for her. And we're going to talk with her about what it is about women economists that Pope Francis thinks is, is so special and such a unique gift. And the last person that we're going to hear from is Sister Natalie Bacar. Well, I received a call to tell me that the Holy Father has appointed me for this mission. And she is one of those women undersecretaries who I mentioned earlier. She's actually working in the Synod of Bishops, which was previously a male-only, bishops-only leadership body in the church. And she has a really interesting vision for how synodality could be the key to involving more women in the Vatican. So we're going to hear from these three incredible women in, in just a minute. I think the question that you and I are always asking is, is this enough? You know, this is positive change and advancement, but it often seems to be coming slowly and in fits and starts. And, you know, in the year 2021, why is there not more effort around this? Yeah, I think that this is a question that we ask a lot. Why change happens so slowly in the Vatican? And I've kind of found over the years of doing this show with Jerry that The answer to that usually lies in the culture of the Vatican. It's very different from how American corporate culture works, right? We're really familiar with this. I'm sure our listeners are too, where, okay, if you want a promotion, you have to set up a meeting with your boss and you have to make your case and ask for it, right? And otherwise you'll never get promoted. The way that it works in the Vatican is kind of the opposite. There's really this taboo against ambition, against trying to put yourself forward for advancement. If you're a layperson working in the Vatican, the best way for you to get forward, the most likely way for you to get forward, is by kind of putting your head down and hoping that somebody notices you working really hard. All right, so we definitely have a counterculture happening at the Vatican where there's a culture of servant leadership at play. And that seems to work well, especially if you are ordained and already fall within a a structure of leadership and are going to be easily recognized for your contributions. But for women, lay women, or or even women religious, you who already have these stained glass ceilings, as they're often called, because they're not ordained men, is putting your head down and working hard ever really enough? Right. And it has some really interesting implications, because when you have this culture where power is not something to aspire to. And where when you become in a position of power, you're not meant to see that as a position of power, you're meant to see it as a position of service. The way that that then applies to who we decide to advance in the Vatican, who gets appointed, it really discourages any discussion of women's empowerment. Well, it reminds me, you know, you don't talk about money if you have money. You don't have to talk about power if you already have power or are embedded in a system of power. Right. So those questions of power are exactly what we're going to take on in this episode. We want to know, can this very deeply entrenched system change? So for our deep dive, we're going to take a look at what is changing inside the Vatican. We'll examine the corporate culture of the Vatican, and we'll talk about how a new understanding of what women bring to the table is challenging what one high-ranking woman in the Vatican called the Church's patriarchal mindset. I'm Colleen Tully. This is Inside the Vatican. All 
I want to start by talking with someone who has seen the corporate culture of the Vatican change firsthand. My name is Christiane Murray. In July 2019, Pope Francis appointed me deputy director of the Holy See Press Office. Christiane Murray started working in the Vatican in 1995 in Vatican Radio. And at that time, there were already women in charge of some of the language editorial office. Christiane was working in one of the offices of the Vatican that's always had a relatively large portion of lay people and women, the communications department. There were women journalists and translators, and there were even some women in management roles. But that wasn't the case elsewhere in the Vatican, which made for an interesting cultural contrast. At a recent presentation, Christiane described her early experiences of working at the Vatican. When I started working here, Christiane says, I was a young woman of 33, and I was very afraid of clericalism. The curial environment scared me. As incredible as it may seem, I felt that some priests or bishops, elderly or not, were just as afraid of me. She said that that fear has changed today, but it's not uncommon for her to go into a meeting and be the only woman there. I arrived at the Secretariat of the Synod of Bishops to collaborate in the preparation of the youth and Amazon synods, and I found as colleagues only male officials. Indeed, a similar environment to that of most of the Vatican dicasteries with which I interact today. Christiane is only the second woman to serve as the deputy director of the Holy See Press Office. The first was her predecessor, Paloma Garcia Ovejero. Pope Francis himself said that he faced internal resistance to appointing Paloma because she was a woman. But if that kind of resistance has carried over to Christiane, she certainly doesn't show it. That's probably because she's a spokesperson for the Vatican, and she's not likely to criticize it publicly. But I found that her attitude is pretty typical for lay employees in the Vatican. Stay humble, work hard, and if you're appointed to a higher rank, see that rank in terms of service rather than power. Authoritativeness or credibility is earned through work, seriousness, commitment, flexibility, a good attitude to human relations, and to building relationships of esteem. But I was really curious about that fear that Christiane mentioned between the lay employees and the clerics at the Vatican. She said it had changed and that the fear had eroded over time. And I wondered, what was it that made it change? There's a high level of collaboration between everyone. This spirit of collaboration has increased a lot over the years. And I don't think the fact of being a woman or a man is influential. It's just a matter of experience and mutual trust, which I repeat, it's built up over years of hard work. At first, I was kind of frustrated by this answer. It sounded like more of the just keep working hard and things will get better attitude. But the more that I thought about it, the more I realized that it aligns with how attitudes actually change towards a lot of marginalized people. Statistics have shown that the more diversity someone's exposed to, the more positive their view of people who are different from them will be, and the more likely they are to support policies that help those people. The same is true in the Vatican. The more that clerics working in the Vatican collaborate with women, the more open-minded they become towards sharing their workplace and their responsibility with women. The more women there are in the Vatican, the more the female voice will be present. 
But it's not enough to have women working in the Vatican and assume that their collaboration will eventually lead to their promotion. For that to happen, men at higher and higher levels of the Vatican, all the way up to the top, need to collaborate with women. They need to be transformed by those experiences. And they need to advocate for their female colleagues' advancement. So it's not just about getting women in, it's about moving them up. I asked Christiane what she would tell the Pope if she could say one thing to him about women in the Vatican. I believe I would ask for this, that we be more listened to, that credit be given to us, that there be greater exchange and interaction at all levels between men and women. Up next, how the Vatican's perception of women is changing. I'm Kate Rayworth. I'm a renegade economist because I firmly believe we need to rewrite economics so that it's actually fit for the century that we are in. And what makes one a renegade economist? How do you how do you get there? Oh, you get there by studying economics and being incredibly frustrated with what you studied. So if you study economics at almost any university in the world, and I'm sorry to say it's still true, it's likely that within the first lecture, welcome to economics, and here is the supply and demand of the market. And we start with the market. Why? Why do we start with the market? I mean, economics means, it comes from ancient Greek, ikos nomos, the art of household management. What a beautiful ambition to aim to contribute towards, to manage our planetary home in the interests of all its inhabitants. If that's economics, I'm in. Kate teaches at Oxford, but not in the economics department. She's in the Environmental Change Institute, teaching a new vision of economics that she calls the donut. So if you think of a donut with a hole in the middle, the hole in the middle is a place where people are falling short on the essentials of life. That's where people don't have the resources they need for health, education, housing, political voice, equality. Leave nobody in the world in the hole in the middle of that donut. But at the same time, we also can't overshoot its outer ring because that's where we collectively put so much pressure on Earth's life-supporting systems that we begin to kick this living planet out of balance. We cause climate breakdown. We acidify the oceans. We create a hole in the ozone layer. So the goal here is to live within the donut itself, where we meet the needs of all people within the means of the living planet. And that sounds almost obvious. What's not to like? Let's meet the needs of all people. Let's live within the means of the one living planet known in the universe. But when we start economics like this, when we put this on day one at the center of our vision, it changes everything that follows. Pope Francis is a big fan of this vision. He cited Kate's work in Laudato Si, his big encyclical on care for the environment and the poor. And he invited Kate to speak at the Economy of Francesco conference that the Vatican hosted for young economists. And she was brought on as a consultant to the Vatican's COVID-19 commission, which works to promote a more equitable future after the COVID pandemic. The Pope really believes that women economists like Kate and Dr. Alessandra Smirilli hold the map to a better post-pandemic future. And he wants to put power in their hands, starting from within the Vatican. In summer 2020, the Pope appointed six laywomen to the Vatican's Council for the Economy, which oversees the Vatican's financial and administrative structures. 
Seven out of the 15 places on the council are set aside for laypeople, and none of those had ever been filled by a woman. I think it's safe to say that we have never seen so many women put front and center in the Vatican for their specific expertise on anything. Which made me wonder, what is it about women economists that speaks so strongly to the Pope? So is there something going on with female economists? Why are women rising? I think when I reflect on the women thinkers who have influenced me, many of them took their journey outside of the mainstream roots, right? And they're seeing something that the mainstream isn't seeing. And I wonder whether it's also relevant that women are expected to operate in many fields in life. So as you're a, a girl growing up, you typically would be expected to imagine yourself becoming a mother one day. It is said that a mother knows her children better than anyone else. And that a baby always recognizes its mother's voice. And so you imagine yourself maybe having a career and being involved in the world of paid work, but you absolutely are already imagining yourself involved in the world of unpaid work. And the mission and knowing that in my heart and in my head, I am making decisions that I think are right for this company. If your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. So you're already imagining that you're going to be living between these worlds, both of which matter, of raising a family and of, of making a difference in the world of paid work. And so I wonder, and this really is a question I have for myself, does it mean that women are more, more naturally leaning towards recognizing there are multiple spaces in which value is created? There's the household and the commons, as well as the market and the state. And so it comes much more naturally to see these and speak to these and to say, well, of course, the economy's value isn't all wrapped up in GDP because it's missing all the care in the household. It's missing all the value created in community. Yeah, I think that it's also a very open question for me as I've, you know, kind of asked myself while writing this story, like, what can the role of women in the Vatican be? And is there a specific gift that women bring? Because I think my mother was kind of a 1980s feminist, right? So she was always teaching me women and men are equal. They have the same skills, you know? And so then to back up from that into question, is there something unique about women's perspective, I think, has been something I've been playing with a lot. So I appreciate getting to sort of think with you on that. Well, let me jump in and say women and men may well be equal, but there may still be something unique in women's perspective because they have been excluded or because the house care work is, is put on them in, in the same way that people of all races are equal, but people of color have something very distinct that they can see because of their lived experience of racism. So women are bringing uh, an experience. And let me, let me put this in the story, right? Adam Smith wrote the classic text on economics and on the power of the market. And he's cited all the time. 1776, he was writing The Wealth of Nations and he wrote this famous line. It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, and the baker that we should expect our dinner, but it, it is from their regard to their own interest. And the point he was making is that the butcher and the brewer and the baker make your bread and meat and beer because you're paying them, and that's the brilliance of the market. Well, Adam was 43 when he was writing his book. He wasn't married. He didn't have children tugging at his coat. He lived at home with his mum, who probably made his dinner every day. So if only as he was writing this famous line. If only his mom had said, Adam, dinner's on the table. He might have noticed, oh, it's not just from the self-interest of the butcher, the brewer, and the baker that I get my dinner. I also get it from the love and care of my mother. Let me write that into my book now. He would have invented feminist economics 250 years earlier than it actually happened. 
Now, a woman writing that would not have forgotten about the unpaid caring work that goes into actually preparing dinner. And that's why a woman's perspective is very important or somebody who's immersed in the caring economy is very important because you will see things that have been left out by the founding fathers, and they were fathers, of economics. That conversation with Kate really made something click for me. For so long, when church leaders have talked about the importance of women, they often seem to be grasping for words, trying to describe some abstract feminine genius. Or they use images that end up sounding really reductive, like when Pope Francis told nuns not to be spinsters, or compared women theologians to strawberries on a cake. All these things that point to women's beauty or fertility, but never their intellect. But Kate offers an alternative way of looking at this. She says, What women offer isn't some elusive gift we're born with, but the perspective that we've gained from a different lived experience. And Pope Francis seems to have come around to that view. In Let Us Dream, his manifesto for a better post-pandemic future, he says about women economists, including Kate, theirs is a perspective born of their practical experience of the real economy, which they say has opened their eyes to the inadequacy of standard textbook economics. It was often their unpaid or informal work, their experience of maternity or running households in addition to high-level academic work that made them aware of the flaws in the dominant economic models of at least the last 70 years. But that idea, it isn't just limited to women. It becomes an argument for including all people who are marginalized and whose perspectives are formed by that experience on the margins. So, up next, how synodality prioritizes those voices. Pope Francis states it very strongly, a synodal church is a listening church. It's about journeying together, listening to all the diversity of the people of God, all the batailles, and women are half of the, <laughs> of the people. So you can't be this listening church, this synodal church, if you don't listen also to the women. I am Sister Nathalie Becker, and I am a Xavier sister. It's a French Ignatian uh, community of apostolic religious. Sister Natalie was the first woman to be appointed to the Vatican Standing Synod Office. The office is somewhat confusingly called the Synod of Bishops, and they put together meetings of bishops that are also called synods. You might have heard of some of these meetings, like the Synod on Amazonia or the Synod on Young People. Before Sister Natalie's appointment last year, being part of the Synod of Bishops was limited only to bishops. Her joining this all-male body also means that she'll likely be the first woman who's able to vote when the world's bishops meet for their next synod meeting in Rome in 2023. And for years, activists have been calling for women's votes at these synods. Sister Natalie also sees her appointment as a move towards greater synodality. That is, the effort for deep listening that Pope Francis has encouraged at all levels of the church. During the Synod on Young People, but also during the Synod on the Amazon, there were many voices, not only from women, but also from bishops, cardinals, asking for a stronger female presence in ecclesial bodies at all levels, more women leadership. So I feel that Pope Francis has heard that. Sister Natalie is an expert in synodality 
The idea is that bishops and lay people meet together and discuss the issues that their community is facing, and then discern together about where the Holy Spirit might be leading them. Pope Francis has hosted a few high-profile synods focused on young people, the family, and the Amazon region. But the synodal model hasn't trickled down to the local or national levels in many places, and the Pope wants to get them on board. That's why the next synod isn't going to be just one meeting in Rome. Starting in October 2021, every diocese in the world is supposed to be holding listening sessions with the local community on how the church could be more synodal. Next year, the results of those listening sessions will be discussed at the national and continental levels, and then the whole thing will conclude with a meeting in Rome in 2023 with some final decisions from the Pope. It's that process that Sister Natalie is helping to manage on the Vatican level. She sees a really clear link between synodality and including voices that have been marginalized, both in society and in the church. If you just put the same people among the same people, you have just part of the view. And in this world, with the change also of mindset about relationship between men and women, even if it's not finished, it's a long way to get rid of this patriarchal mindset. And synodality is about how to implement this fundamental equality that doesn't suppress the diversity of ministry, of roles, but how you leave that as a service and the service of the community in which everybody is equal. Okay, Colleen, so we started this episode with some pretty big questions asking, can such a deeply entrenched system of patriarchy change? Uh, Can women's roles in the Vatican change? Are the changes that we do see afoot, are they enough? So where do you stand now? Well, I think that with the changing view of women as marginalized people whose voices are worth hearing because of their lived experience and honestly the personal change that we've seen in the way that Pope Francis talks about that over the years, plus this model of synodality that aims to prioritize marginalized voices, I think that that's a really powerful combination. And we've seen that Pope Francis is super committed to shifting the church towards that synodal model. There's this quote that people in the Vatican quote him saying all the time, which is that synodality is what God expects of the church in the third millennium. Now, a lot of people have said that even when women are appointed to these leadership positions, that they are just yes women, that they're not critical of the institution, that they just keep their heads down and cooperate. Yeah, I've definitely heard that criticism. And like, there are certainly women who are glad to cooperate with the Vatican's culture. And, you know, I don't blame them. Like, signing up to work at the Vatican does not necessarily mean fighting for a a totally different work environment for women. Sometimes you just want to do your job. But I think it's really significant, the appointment of Natalie Bacar. Because from day one, she got up at a press conference and she said, that her appointment was a sign that the patriarchal mindset of the church is changing. And I think it's really significant that there's a woman who's right in the center of the church's power in a department that was previously only men, who's calling out the church's patriarchal and clerical culture and has been since day one. 
And how often do we hear anyone, whether they are working for the church or just in secular society, publicly criticize their employer like that? Yeah, and she really wants the church to listen to women. And she has a game plan to make that happen. Synodality. Synodality is about getting rid of a pattern of domination, (laughs) separation to enter in this systemic view of cooperation and interdependency, interconnectedness between all. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Engineering by Frank Tucson. You can find my feature article, Women Are Rising to New Heights at the Vatican, Could They Change the Church Forever, at americamagazine.org, along with all the content from our October Women's Month issue. To support our show, you can purchase a digital subscription to America Magazine at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. And if you enjoyed this deep dive episode, maybe you've learned something new, please share it with a friend. It really helps us get the word out about the show. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.